electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. As Walmart goes, so goes the nation. Breaking down the retail giant's quarterly report and consumers buying what really matters. I guess everybody on the planet bought a new TV over the last couple of years. Maybe these are just the (laughs) things that they thought we'd keep chasing. And class dismissed permanently for thousands of teachers. After educating through a global pandemic, many are calling it quits. Mitch Daniels of Purdue University weighs in. When researchers have asked teachers themselves why they're leaving, money's not the issue. Those stories today, plus Apple wants workers back to the office. Billionaires like Warren Buffett are changing up their portfolios. And oil prices may have eased in the U.S., but the energy crisis abroad still alive and well. The U.K., Becky, is talking about going to three-day-a-week school, not for COVID, but because of power costs. It's Tuesday, August 16th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Brian Sullivan. Joe and Andrew are both off today. And Brian, it's good to see you, bud. Good to be back, Becky. Good to see you. Let's talk about oil and energy. Crude oil prices, they are back below 90 bucks a barrel right now. It should be good for gasoline prices going forward. In fact, not only is oil below $90, but that move down now wipes out the post-Russia invasion of Ukraine gains. And crude oil is at its lowest level since early February. Some good news. So what exactly is kind of going on lately? Well, there's three things at the same time. All right, here we go. Number one, China's economy is slowing down. They've got their continued COVID zero policy, lockdowns. Wuhan, by the way, largely just locked down again. That's about a million plus people. China, remember, uses about 15% of the world's oil. They lock down, they slow down, their crude oil demand falls. There's also renewed hopes over a nuclear deal with Iran that would put more Iranian barrels on the market. Any breakthrough on that real deal could put Iran back in play. In fact, some research suggests another 1 million barrels per day from Iran could come back online at least online legally, where they don't have to do these, you know, mid-sea transfers under the dark of night. And three, U.S. oil production is rising. Not fast, but it does keep ticking up. We're now at 12.2 million barrels per day. That is the highest since August of 2020. All right, where do we go from here? Well, maybe not much lower. There, I guess, in is the bad news. Let's look at the Ford futures at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. If you go out to February, you can see that there's the futures contracts. All those contracts are still priced in the mid to high $80. 88 bucks for October, 88 for November, 87 for December, etc. So the recent drop is good for gasoline prices. It may be huge for people also in the Northeast, Becky, that are about to refill their heating oil tanks. Let's remember, people in Maine, Vermont, Massachusetts, They may use heating oil to fill their home. They're probably either just buying it now or about ready to, and they are still likely to face sticker shock. In fact, if any of you out there 
get a bill, let us know how much maybe it's gone up, it's doubled or whatever. Still, $30 a barrel higher than we were mid-August of 2019. So oil is well above where it was pre-pandemic, Becky. But we are about $35 off that high that we had hit just a couple of months ago. Not a lot of relief, but a little relief and maybe some good numbers for those Walmart numbers that are going to be coming out soon. That's an excellent point. You know, Brian, yesterday we were talking with Halima Croft and with uh, Jim Cramer and some other people just about this sudden glut of energy, sudden glut of oil in particular. We have a lot of oil on this market. We have this U.S. SPR release, a million barrels a day that's hitting the market. That will unwind in October. And we have seen a real rebound in Russian production and exports with those barrels going into key markets like India. The big question is, what happens if the EU moves forward with their embargo on Russian oil and 2.2 million barrels come December, maybe facing a challenge getting a new home? You had Russia trying to pump as much as they can. They need more and more money to fund their, the war and everything else that's happening with them, the war with Ukraine. Um, so this glut of what, what they were sending to China, China having the slowdown in the economic numbers yesterday, you know, you look at the demand and supply at the same time, and all of a sudden we've gone in the space of a month from talking about not having enough energy and not having enough for five years to come and this significant underinvestment and making sure we can get enough out of the ground as the economy grows to seeing this very swift reversal where people are talking about an oil glut. Now, it may be temporary. It may be something that lasts a month, two months, six months, but it is a weird reversal. If you were to go, go to sleep for a month and kind of wake up, it's a different world than what we've been talking about. Well, it's also very different how our views change over time, right? I mean, on the way up, Becky, $90 a barrel was expensive on the way up. Oh my <laughs> gosh, we're at 90 bucks a barrel. And right <clears throat> now we're at 90 on the way down. Oh, $90, wow, thank it's goodness. Cheap. Remember that, I mean, 90 bucks is still 90 bucks. And the other thing I'll say about energy, and the one thing that I've been sort of hammering on is electricity. We always talk about gasoline, I get that. But the reality is that these rate renewals are starting to come for a lot of people in the United States where they may be on a fixed rate for their power at home. And now we're getting word, I've got people on Twitter that are posting their bills to me, DMing me, whatever, with their bills around America. We're, we may be saving a lot of money in gasoline compared to a couple of months ago, but I'm willing to bet, especially if it's a cold winter, that unfortunately electricity and home heating costs in America are gonna to continue to surge. So any savings that people may have had from gasoline may get wiped out by their higher utility bills this winter. Although I will say, be thankful, Becky, that we are not in Europe where they are paying 400 to 500% yes. more than we are right now. In fact, the UK, the UK, Becky, is talking about going to three day a week school, not for COVID but because of power costs. Think about that. So they won't pay for the schools to be heated or lit, but they're still gonna have to have those kids at home learning from there, shifting the costs back to the consumer, I guess. Wor Ugh. Working parents cannot get a break no matter where you are, right? I mean, the working parent just can't catch a break the last couple of years. No, they cannot. All right, everybody, it's time for a little whale watching this morning. The world's biggest investors unveiling their latest moves through regulatory filings, not because they want to, but because they have to. This is our way of peeking into what they're doing. First up, David Tepper.
His Appaloosa management cut its equity positions by 36% in the second quarter. Some of the notable position cuts came in its stakes in Microsoft, Amazon, Micron, and Alphabet, also from fertilizer maker Mosaic and retailer Macy's. One large new position for the fund was Constellation Energy. It took a stake of nearly $155 million during the quarter. In the meantime, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway ramped up its stake in Apple once again last quarter by about 4 million shares. That stake was worth $122.3 billion at the end of the second quarter. Berkshire did sell its entire stake of Verizon in the second quarter. That was worth more than $70 million. It had owned the telecom stock since the third quarter of 2020. So believe it or not, that's a pretty rapid reversal for Buffett, who generally stays in positions for basically forever. Berkshire also added to its stakes in Chevron and Activism Vision Blizzard. Remember uh, Chevron he'd been adding to for a while, Activision Blizzard, Brian, he kind of got into as a way of arbitrage. You know, if, the, if it was trading so far below the deal, uh, the Microsoft deal offer, figured it was a good thing to kind of jump in on that and surprised everybody when he unveiled that stake at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting back in May of, of uh, this past year. So, so that this yep, year, was say. not necessarily, Becky, a, a sign that Warren Buffett is getting big into video games. No. It's more that it no. was an arbitrage opportunity <laughs> yeah. on the buyout. Yeah, you know, he, he unveiled it in front of all the shareholders. And, you know, I think Bobby Kotick was there from Activision Blizzard. He found out about it with all the other shareholders at that point when Buffett told the entire audience, the 40,000 people who were there. Yeah, by the way, this is something I've been doing. Yeah. So it's always worth showing up. You always learn something. You know, yeah, adding to, adding to Chevron, and obviously we know that he's been adding to Occidental as well. In fact, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Becky, that Warren Buffett and Berkshire now own one-fifth, 20%. Yeah of Occidental Petroleum. So I know there's a lot of people that are saying all these, you know, these oil and gas companies, they're the fossils, they're the dinosaurs, they're going away. To your point about owning things forever, it's, it's clear that Warren Buffett or at least somebody at Berkshire Hathaway is not necessarily betting that oil and gas companies are going to die anytime soon. Well, and that was the one ad that we also saw from Tepper. You know, it got out of a lot of the technology names, but jumped in to an energy name. Yeah, uh, Carl Icahn, we, we had some data going the other way, decreasing his holdings in Delec, which is kind of a small, mid-sized refining company, and as well, and uh, decreasing holdings in Chenier Energy, the big LNG play. But if you owned them in the last couple of quarters, Carl Icahn has made a lot of money well, on remember, those stocks. All right, we are not done Icon talking. Icahn was selling Occidental at the same time Buffett was buying. So there's uh, some of these whales kind of circling each other, too. Just, just billionaires trading stocks among each other. You know, Becky, it's, it wouldn't be nice. Apple employees in California have been called back to the office starting in September, where they are expected to work three times a week. That's according to multiple media reports that say employees will be asked to go into offices on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and individual teams will pick an additional third day for in-person work. That's up from the summer expectation for Apple employees to work in office just two days a week. And Brian, they are not the only company doing this. You're hearing about more and more companies kind of trying to ease people back into coming back into work. Maybe not five days a week, but I've heard three days a lot of places, four days even in others. I don't envy management. I think that management's going to have a lot of hard conversations at many of these companies that are doing that. I mean, over they basically forced people to stay home, and now they're going to bring them back. I mean, you can argue the merits all day long. I like in-person work. I like being in person. We're not in person right now, but I look forward to it in a couple of weeks. But at the same time, a lot of people have fundamentally changed their life. I will also say this, Becky, 
and you and I still have, have fairly young children, childcare is still a disaster. It is yeah. an absolute disaster. Try to get childcare at home. Babysitters, they're gone. If you can find them, what was the Wall Street Journal article? In some areas, $30 an hour. There's going to be a lot of families that are going to have to make hard decisions. I'll also add this. You think about gasoline demand is still relatively high. The last week's numbers were still pretty elevated. Right. What's going to happen to gasoline demand now if a couple of million people are starting to get back on the highways? I was just looking at USA Facts. You know, this is a Steve Ballmer operation that just tries to lay out facts about who is leaving jobs, who's leaving from one occupation to another. If you look at child care workers, 16% switched occupations in 2021, 14% stopped working. If you compare that just back to 2017, that's much higher numbers when you had 12 and 13% respectively doing those things. Same thing with teachers. Teachers and instructors, back in 2017, it was only 10% and 10% who were either switching occupations or leaving. Teachers right now, other teachers and instructors, 17% switching occupations, 15% stopping working altogether. And those, those are some significant pressure points. Those were areas where there was a lot of issues, uh, things that they've been through the last three years. And again, a lot of those people having childcare issues of their own. Um, that's where you see it start to creep up. Talked about that new congestion pricing proposal, still just a proposal for New York City, which would add $23. That's not the Lincoln toll going from 17 to 23. That's 23 on top of the 17 that, that if, if it's enacted, could cost people $100 per day to drive into New York City all in. Now, not a lot of people drive into and New York. I get it. Good luck convincing dumb, workers to come back when you do that. But the reality is the trains stink. Well, the and, trains are and terrible. And the reality is a lot New of people Jersey who are back in the office of are driving at this point because if you were worried about COVID or anything else, if you're worried about coming in at odd hours, if you're worried about the crime in the city when you come in at off hours or even during normal hours, good luck with that. Like, clean things yeah. up. Yeah, Make or, it not or, so. Or the train just doesn't run because they lack engineers. Or, and then you pull into right. Penn Station and you see, unfortunately, what you see at the Port Authority of Penn Station, which is can be depressing. It's a sad state, so more people are driving. I don't, know, I don't know how it plays out, Becky. Next on Squawk Pod, last month, just a few weeks ago, Walmart's dire profit warning alarmed other retailers and the rest of Wall Street, pushing the whole market down. But things look differently today. CNBC's Courtney Reagan on Walmart's quarterly earnings. When Walmart had issued this warning, things were looking more dire than it ended. The retail giant's results and what it means for you, right after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.
Welcome back to Squawk Pod. I'm producer Katie Kramer. Retailers are in the news this week as America's big box stores report earnings. We heard today from Home Depot, and demand for home improvement projects has sales there up more than 4%, and revenue for Q2 came in at nearly $44 billion. Walmart, the nation's largest brick-and-mortar retailer, also reported quarterly financial results today. And to remind you, that company had warned just last month that its profits would be lower. Consumers squeezed by record high inflation were looking for bargains on groceries and essentials. Gone were the days of upgrading items around the home, stocking up on electronics for remote work or school, or waiting lists for things like bicycles. This shift in buyer behavior left Walmart with a glut of inventory that nobody purchased. In the news that inflation was hitting Americans so hard that they were choosing really carefully where every dollar went, only buying what they absolutely needed, that had an impact on the share price. Walmart stock dropped 8% on July 25th, just about three weeks ago. But today, the picture, it didn't look so grim. Walmart reported that sales grew last quarter, yes, mostly due to inflation and higher prices, but earnings per share and revenue beat Wall Street's expectations. Revenue topped $152 billion, and earnings were $1.77 per share. CNBC's Courtney Reagan reported this morning from outside a Walmart supercenter in the company's hometown of Bentonville, Arkansas. And I spoke briefly with Walmart's new CFO, John David Rainey, and he said, look, the retailer is seeing the quarter itself ending stronger than what we guided to at the end of last month. Also seeing more medium and high income consumers coming into Walmart with three quarters of share gains in food from customers with annual household incomes of $100,000 or more. For consumers with less disposable income, Rainey said there is evidence of trade down in both in terms of quality and quantity. For example, instead of customers buying deli meats or beef, they're buying things like canned tuna and chicken. He also added that units of beans are up more than 25% in the quarter. And instead of buying pack sizes of items from 10 or 12, it's looking more like five or six in many cases. Inventory is up 26% year over year, though a 750 basis point improvement from the prior quarter. And Rainey said that about 40% of the $11 billion in higher U.S. inventory is really a reflection of the higher cost of goods from inflation. Only about $1.5 billion is the amount Rainey would like to, quote, wave a magic wand to make disappear. Back over hey, to you, Becky I, and Brian. I just want to call up Walmart shares are up on this news. You've got Walmart shares right now up by about 3.9%. Um, this comes just weeks after the profit warning that they issued, just talking about what was what they were seeing in the stores. Was the street's reaction too harsh at that point, too, too much of a takedown for them just saying, hey, consumers are trading down and getting pinched by inflation? Did the street react too harshly? Did things improve? Because this was this was the quarter that closed at the end of the month. Yeah, a, a little bit of both. I think when Walmart had issued this warning, things were looking more dire than it ended. When I spoke with the CFO, he sort of said, look, there was May and June and call that sort of one section of the quarter. And then there was July and things really did change. They started to improve. We saw some back to school spending pick up when it comes to at least the school supplies, not necessarily the apparel. The company thinks it's a little too early to see that. So things did start to improve when it came to the sales mix and maybe some of those higher margin goods. I asked specifically when you see gas prices fall, does that really impact the consumer psyche? Meaning when we saw gas prices fall more broadly across the country, was that when things started to improve? 
they sort of said, look, we don't have an exact analysis on that, but but it stands to reason that that was part of the reason for that turn. Okay, Court, it's Brian. Yeah, of course, Walmart also sells a lot of gas, I think. I mean, they post their numbers, X fuel yes. and whatever. I'm going to be That's a little right. bit, I'm going to be, okay, you're down there and you're down there in Bentonville, so you can't, I'm going to be a little bit nasty on these numbers here. And the one thing I looked at with Home Depot is inventories. And I'm, I'm looking at Walmart's inventories. Don't at me, Courtney. Inventories jumped $12 billion from the same quarter last year. $59.9 billion versus $47.7 in the same quarter last year. A $12 billion inventory build, how much that may impact margins going forward if they can't sell that stuff. Absolutely. And so what I went through those numbers in a little bit more detail with the CFO, John David Rainey, and he said, look, let's look at the $11 billion in the U.S. inventory. 40% of that value is the result of higher inflation. And then, of course, there's some inventory build that we wanted because we're building for back to school. Really, he said one and a half billion dollars of that $11 billion build in U.S. inventory is the amount he would sort of like to wave a magic wand and make disappear. But he doesn't believe the retailer will have a hard time selling it. It may, just to your point, be at a lower margin because they already did talk about having to add in a little bit more promotions than originally planned as part of that warning three weeks ago. And he said, look, home and electronics and apparel, which are often higher margin goods, are still those categories that are under pressure. That was going to be my next question, Courtney, where where you can anticipate the sales coming. Electronics, I guess everybody on the planet bought a new TV over the last couple of years. Maybe these are just the <laughs> things that they thought we'd keep chasing. Things like bicycles. I hear now that there are lots of bicycles out there when we couldn't find one during the pandemic. Exactly. Bicycles, patio furniture, right? When everyone was sort of hunkering down and, and buying all that for home, it took a long time for the supply chain to sort of get those through. Once the demand you know, sort of waned, the supply then outstripped it. But to your point on electronics, look at what Best Buy had warned as well. They came out just after Walmart and that stock didn't crater nearly as much because I think the analysts sort of said, well, of course, no surprise. Walmart came out and warned. Target told us that they're having inventory issues. So Best Buy coming out and saying, hey, we're seeing weaker demand for consumer electronics wasn't a huge surprise. It just looks like that is continuing here at Walmart. Courtney, thank you. Thanks, Becky. Let's tie it all together. Joining us now is Jerome Martis, Director of Consumer Research at Refinitiv. Jerome, they beat the street by 16%, but they cut their forecast by 13% back on July 25th. Inventories 12 billion more than they were uh, one year ago. The street seems to like it. How do you read the numbers? Well, good morning, Brian. Indeed, um, the data, the Walmart numbers are pretty much correlated with the latest reading we've had on consumer sentiment, which is consumers who felt very negative in May and June, but then consumer sentiment picked up in July and so did spending at Walmart. Now, when we look at inventories, yes, they are up compared to a year ago, but they have, however, slowed down from the previous quarter. And that is a positive sign. On top of that, it is very evident that the consumer behavior that we're seeing at Walmart is pretty much in line with what we're seeing in the entire retail space which is that the low-end consumer continues to trade down and the middle-class consumer continues to look for value. And this was very evident with the membership revenue. The membership um, at, at Walmart reached an all-time high this exact same time last year, the second quarter of 2021. However, this year, it increased 
25.6% on top of high, the high levels from last year. So this is a very good sign in terms of revenue. And it shows that the middle-class consumer continues to cut off those Netflix subscriptions and are trying to look for value and get a Sam's Club membership in order to save money at the pump. How much does gas matter to Walmart? Obviously, they sell a lot of gasoline themselves, Jerome. They've got gas stations and a lot of stores but yet it impacts their shopper maybe more than any other. So when we look at the comms, that's that's what we want to see, right? We want to see the number of including and excluding gasoline. And consistently, we're seeing that the people who are getting those memberships in order to save up the pump are actually parking their cars and going into the stores. And it's also translating into consistent strong sales within the store. So both of those comp numbers have been consistently strong in terms at Sam's, Walmart. And, and even when we look at the other discounters that sell gasoline like Costco and BJ's. Um, so that shows us that the consumer is trying to look for ways of saving money. And gasoline is a big deal to attract those customers into the stores at these discounters that sell gas. Yeah, we got Target coming out tomorrow, Lowe's as well. Is there any kind of trend that you've already seen or looking for, Jerome? So Target um, caters more to the middle-class consumer, but the numbers today is a positive sign that things could have also turned around at Target. Still, when we look at all of the discounts, when we look at Target, we look at Walmart, Costco, Analysts pulled by Refinitiv are most bullish on those companies that sell gasoline, and they've been raising those estimates even more stronger in a time when they've been lowering all the other retailers. So even though if we see a strong number at Target tomorrow, analysts are still more bullish on the companies, on the discounters that sell gasoline. Jerome, thank you very much. Have a great day. Cheese will be next. Still to come on Squawk Pod, a national teacher shortage leaving some states understaffed by the thousands. Educator and president of Purdue University, Mitch Daniels, joins us. It's been obvious for, uh, and proven for a long time that a quality teacher in a large classroom produces better results than a, than a poor teacher in a small one. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. And in this next conversation, Becky Quick is joined by economics reporter Steve Leisman. Here's Becky. All right, with the start of a new school year just around the corner, in fact, in some states already starting, school districts across the United States are struggling to hire teachers. The National Education Association estimates that there are 300,000 teachers and support staff needed this coming year that they just can't find. For a closer look at this issue, let's bring in Purdue University President Mitch Daniels. He's the former Indiana governor, of course, and former OMB director as well. And Mitch, it's really good to see you. This is an issue that has people concerned throughout this country, the idea that teachers are burning out, they're quitting, you can't find replacements. Um, what's happened? I think you just named some of the most salient points there, uh, Becky. The, um, uh, you said take a closer look, and we should. Um, this is a appears to be a big problem in some areas, no problem in many areas. U.S. Department of Education just two months ago found only three teacher vacancies per district, and that left all summer to 
fill them in per district. And uh, Rand Corporation just last month looked again and found more people employed in the schools than before the pandemic. Remember that gusher of uh, printed money the federal government spread around during those times. So uh, what we seem to have is a very specific problem in some uh, districts. Unfortunately, the ones where uh, many of our most vulnerable children go to school uh, in certain uh, specific areas, math, science, English language as, as a second language, um, special ed, but not a general problem. So I think we have to think selectively and surgically about it. It may, it may not be general, but we're, we're talking about some wide swaths, areas where this is happening. In Arizona, the governor there signed a law in 2017 that allowed people without formal training to teach in the classroom as long as they had at least five years of experience in a field that they considered relevant to that. But he's taken it a step further this year and now has eliminated the requirement that you even have a bachelor's degree. You can go and teach there as long as you're enrolled in college. Does that make sense? It certainly makes sense to open up the profession. There are all sorts of enormously talented people with hearts for children who would like to uh, participate in their education. And and we've walled them off, I think, uh, uh, unnecessarily and for, for far too long. You also mentioned, I think, that maybe the key uh, to uh, this issue uh, over time, and that's retention. We lose far too many teachers. We lose a lot of young teachers because they see that they are blocked by rigid seniority systems from much career uh, growth. And uh, we're losing a lot of teachers uh, when you ask, uh, when people have asked them, the top three reasons are workload, which includes a lot of administrative non-teaching assignments, uh, and um, uh, lack of administrative support, and most critically, I think, uh, discipline and the uh, failure of schools to uh, to uh, uh, provide it. Uh, or require it, uh, and back up teachers when they do. Two things, Mitch. First, let me just start with I. I respect you greatly, and I love a lot of things that you do, but the idea of having people who have not gotten a college degree teaching in classrooms, that, that seems like a bit of a stretch. I mean, I'd like to know that my child is being taught by somebody who has already taken the steps to go to a fine institution like Purdue. I understand that, and I, I'm not necessarily endorsing exactly what Governor Ducey has done. I did, I do believe that in general, we've, we've required uh, um, degrees that don't have really much to do or don't tell us anything predictive really about the ability of that person to teach well. So uh, maybe that goes a step too far, but it is a step in the right it, in the right direction. Um, my home state has done the same thing and many others are doing so. Uh, I think it's very wise, uh, at least in moderation. You mean in terms of opening opening the, the career to more people, but you're not talking about Indiana actually taking the step of saying you don't have to have a college degree to do this. No, they've not done that, and, uh, and I'd be very hesitant to do that. Uh, maybe some uh, uh, demonstration of, of effectiveness and ability and knowledge could, could replace the bachelor's degree, which I'm, I'm sorry to say many bachelor's degrees uh, from many schools in this country, as employers have learned to their detriment, don't tell you very much. So that's not a magic talisman all by itself. Yeah, that's true. Um, I know you're not a big fan of throwing money around, President Daniels, but it, there is some information in Axios this morning that points out that the wage gap between teachers and other educated professionals is something like 21%, or at least it was back in 2018. And that compares to a gap of just 6% if you look back to 1996. Is part of the problem that we are not paying these people enough? I've seen anecdotally teachers leaving and saying, I can make more money at Walmart. I can't say that it's not a problem in certain places. I think we can say that on average, it's not certainly not the problem. Again, when researchers have asked teachers themselves why they're leaving, money's not the issue. 
it's it's a discipline and support in and their physical safety in some cases. You know, ten percent of teachers in recent years have reported not just unruly classrooms, but threats of or acts of vi- actual violence by their students. And uh, that's a that's a big reason I think teachers and by the way, a lot of parents uh, have been. Uh, uh, looking for alternatives to too many of our public schools. Mitch, I wonder if you could talk about the broader implications of this. Can we ever get the economy back to normal if we're 300,000 teachers short? I have to think that affects childcare, the ability of people to go to work and make themselves available for the workforce. When they're talking about a four-day school week in some uh, uh, districts, I'm wondering what the parents are going to do on that fifth day. Look, I'm not saying that uh, money well spent, uh, more money, even more money can, uh, can't help. And I'm not saying that uh, more teachers in certain places wouldn't be useful. But uh, it's been true for a very long time. The most important need we have for teachers is for quality teachers. I think that ought to be paid far more than today. But simply throwing numbers of people, many of whom have not proven effective, um, has not done it. We spend more per student by far than anybody in the world, and we're not getting the results that dozens of other company, uh, countries are. So, uh, you know, I think we need to be careful and really look at the evidence here. It's been obvious for, uh, and proven for a long time that a quality teacher in a large classroom produces better results than a than a poor teacher in a small one. Mitch, can I ask you to put your old OMB hat on, which you and I used to talk about quite a bit, which is the state of the government finances right now, do you worry that debt is too high and that we have rising interest rates, that the interest rate burden is going to weigh us down? Not a matter of worrying. We know this to a mathematical <laughs> certainty. And uh, it's only our fortunate position as the world's reserve currency, I think, that is protecting us right now and the troubles that other countries are having. Um, if, if I, When I look at today's young people, the people on this campus and the little ones coming up, um, my number one concern for them is the unconscionable debts that we are going to dump on them, money that was not borrowed and invested in their future, but was spent on current consumption. By any historical measure, we are we have passed the danger point and we are in a zone which is potentially economically ruinous when the bills come in and um, which uh, you know, again, I think works a great inequity on those who will uh, inherit those bills. President Daniels, thank you, as always, for your time. It's really great to see you this morning. Likewise. And that is Squawk Pod for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern or follow Squawk Pod on your favorite podcast platform and listen anytime. Send us any comments or feedback on Twitter. Our handle there is Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.